My name's Morgan. And my name's Jalen. And you're listening to the Trademark Productions 301 The Redirect Podcast. 301 The Redirect. So today's episode, we're going to talk about buyer behavior and buyer personas. So basically what they're about, why they're important, and a little bit of information to include if you don't already have them within your marketing plans. So to start off, we're going to do a little icebreaker. Morgan brought this survey to my attention, so we'll have her explain it. Yeah, so when talking about buyer behavior and the creation of buyer personas, it's kind of impossible not to mention VALS. Uh, So what VALS stands for is values and lifestyles. And basically, it's just a way to segment your consumers or prospects into groups that are based on things other than simply just demographics. So it takes into consideration the ideals of the consumer, the resources they have available to them, their achievement, and their self-expression. So in the U.S., we have eight different VALS types. So there are the innovators, thinkers, believers, achievers, strivers, experiencers, makers, and survivors. So the innovators group is made up of people that they have a high level of resources available to them. Mm -hmm. They are future-oriented. They're confident enough to experiment with new products, and they're very information-driven. So this group is at the top of the VALS framework, which just means that they are one of the smallest groups, but they have the highest amount of resources. Okay. Beneath the high resources innovators group, there are three sections based on consumers' primary motivation. So if it's ideals, if it's achievement, or if it's self-expression. So under the ideals achievements, there are the thinkers and believers. Thinkers are one of the largest groups, and this group is a group that likes to plan and research and do a lot of consideration before they make a financial purchase. Uh, These people are financially established, so again, they have a high level of resources. However, they are not influenced by current trends. They aren't the first people to have new technologies when they come out. They like to ensure that any purchase they make is researched and isn't going to bite them in the ass. Okay. (laughs) On the lower resources end of the ideal segment, we have the believers. So this is a more conservative group. Uh, They really rely on spirituality and faith to provide inspiration. They watch TV, they read romance novels. They find advertising to be a legitimate source of information uh, and they are not looking to change society. They kind of just want to go with the flow. Yeah, just live and not be a part of that change. That's understandable. Mm -hmm. So next we have people who are motivated by achievement. So in the high resources section of achievement, we have achievers. Achievers are people that have a me first, my family first attitude. Okay. They believe that money is the source of authority. They're very committed to having a family and a job. They're goal-oriented, hardworking, professional, and really use technology in a way that boosts their productivity. Okay. (laughs) And then below them, we have the strivers group. So these are like the achievers, except they have less resources available to them. So these people uh, rely heavily on public transportation. They have a desire to better their lives, but are having difficulty in realizing their desire, and they wear their wealth. Interesting. Next up, we have people who are motivated by self-expression. So these groups are the experiencers and the makers. These are two of the smallest groups in the VALS types. Of course. 
Uh, so we have experiencers who are really materialistic. These people are the first in and the first out of new trends. Mm -hmm. uh, they go against the current mainstream. They're up on the latest fashions. Uh, they see themselves as being very sociable, believe that friends and uh, their social life is very important. Mm -hmm. And these are spontaneous buyers. The experiencers group is in the high resources uh, section of self-expression followed by the makers who also are motivated by self-expression, but they have less resources available to them. So these people are distrustful of government. They have a strong interest in all things automotive or outdoors, like hunting and fishing. Uh, they believe in very stereotypical gender roles. They want to protect what they perceive to be theirs and they want to own land. So these are kind of some of the motivating factors of the makers group. So these people are really, they enjoy being self-made. They enjoy uh, tradition and just kind of doing things the way that they've always been done. Okay. So lastly, in the low resources group, we have the survivors. So these people are cautious and risk averse. Most of the time, they're older consumers who are very thrifty, are interested in um, using coupons and getting the best deal. Mm -hmm. uh, they spend most of their time alone and they're very loyal to brands and products. So on the Vales website, which we will link below, there is a quiz that you can take and it will tell you your primary Vales type and your secondary Vales type. Both Jalen and I took the survey that Vales offers and we found our primary and secondary Vales types. Yes. Jalen, do you want to go first? Yes, so my primary Vales type is experiencers. So I pretty much do agree with everything it said, minus spending heavily on clothes and different things. Mm -hmm. I do like to think about purchases, but then sometimes I just splurge, mm -hmm. but not like splurge like too much money. Mm -hmm. um, it just depends, honestly, on like what that product or service is or that brand. I know we always talk about Target, but I can literally go on Target like I feel like most of us can and just, you know, spend money. But it's always stuff that I need and not just stuff that, oh, it's cute. Like I'll grab mm -hmm. that because I can buy it. Yeah. It's always things that I need. Um, so I do agree with the primary choice that was chosen for me. And then my secondary choice was Innovator. So with that one, um, independence, character, taste, I agree with all of those um, personality traits or characteristics. I feel like that does fit into who I am as a person, and hopefully that shows. Um, but I think that that is an important category, and I feel like both of these fit into like that millennial like mm -hmm. category, almost in a sense, for all eight of them that um, were talked about today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so my results were actually the exact opposite of Jalen's in that my primary type is innovators and my secondary type is experiencers. So this makes sense because we're both economically the same. We live in the same area. We yeah. have similar interests. However, for innovators, I see myself as fitting into that primarily because I am someone who needs to have new technology right when it comes out. Mm -hmm. Or if I don't, <laughs> I'm heavily researching it, learning about it, figuring out how to use it, and then you know trying to get my hands on it as soon as I possibly can. Yeah. So I definitely see myself as an innovator first, but then an experiencer second because, again, I can be kind of a... Uh, <laughs> impulsive buyer when yeah. it comes to certain things mm -hmm. um just like Jalen said but I do like to think about things as in advance before I you know make big purchases mm -hmm. as well so I think that the quiz was pretty accurate for the both of us yeah I think so too mm -hmm. 
So jumping into the main topic of the podcast, we're going to talk about buyer behaviors and buyer personas. So we'll start off with buyer behaviors. So buyer behavior is pretty much just figuring out how one individual or a group of consumers purchase a product or service from your company. So it's just understanding their decision-making process and that buying journey from them. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can be based on a lot of factors on like cultural, psychological, economical, environmental as well. So if, um, like Morgan said, if you see a product and you're dying to have it, you go out and buy it because you see a lot of people or influencers on YouTube with it. So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, if they have it, I think that's cool too. Mm -hmm. So I'll just go buy that myself and see what the hype is about. Um, It could be psychological, so not wanting to miss out, FOMO, Mm -hmm. you're missing out. Um, It could be economical, it could be really cheap, or if you think that you want to just splurge on this high price product you can go do that too mm-hmm. so those are different factors that help play into a part of how that consumer decides to purchase that product or service mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot of factors that i feel a lot of marketers don't take into consideration when marketing a product because you think of yourself everyone considers themselves to be the everyday consumer right. but consumerism looks a lot different you know area by area ethnic group to ethnic group mm-hmm. it looks you know very different for everyone Because you consider people that live in rural areas, the way their purchase journey looks is completely different from someone who lives, you know, on Broadway in New York City. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So like Morgan said, it does vary from area to area. And so companies do have to keep that in mind when they start their marketing efforts for different regions of the country or for even, you know, outside of the United States. You have to realize what your audience, audience is like. Um, and their pain points. So realizing that if they are in a rural area and it takes them 30 plus minutes to get to your store, what other options are you providing with them? So are they shopping online? Um, Are you giving out incentives to help them shop online? So giving out free shipping, offering um, discounts when they first buy, what does that look like? Because that to me does influence buyer behavior. Mm -hmm. It does help your consumers and your audience to figure out, okay, They care about me shopping online. What are they giving me in return since I'm spending all this money? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it keeps going on from there. Amazon is a great example because they have Amazon Prime. But even if you don't have Prime, you can do free shipping with $25 or $35 or Mm -hmm. higher, something like that. But um, that just constantly shows you that if you spend this amount of money with this company, they treat you in return and give you free shipping. Because mm-hmm. I know personally, I don't like to pay for shipping if I can. Oh, same. It. Yeah. I try to meet that limit. Mm-hmm. And then once I get to that 35 or $50 limit, I'm checking out and that's just what I'm getting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And I'm guilty of that too. And sometimes, you know, I'll end up with three pairs of socks that I didn't really need yeah. just so that I could get over the, yep. the shipping threshold. Yep. And that's, you know, a big way that online e-commerce can influence buyer behavior because people can tend to be more impulsive when they don't see the products all laid out in front of them. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to just click a button than to, you know, individually scan each item at a store. Exactly. I think that that's one way that companies can influence consumers to spend more with them. Yeah. And even in stores, um, they do have apps where you can scan all your items on the app and then check out from there. Mm -hmm. I know Sam's Club does it. 
it's a scan and go app where if you don't want to wait in a long line, you can just scan as oh, you're yeah. shopping and then check out and be right out the door. Mm -hmm. So I think that's very um, convenient. And that does help with buyer behavior as well, because mm -hmm. it's cutting down that wait time and making sure that people can get in and out. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, there's a whole group of consumers who don't trust e-commerce or don't want to provide credit card information over the internet. They like seeing a product in person and mm -hmm. being able to you know, see what they're purchasing before they send their money away. Yeah. So a great example of how I saw a company influence my own buyer behavior by bringing something from e-commerce into the store was on a recent trip to Target, I was stocking up on some toothpaste and mm -hmm. I was in the market for a new toothbrush. And I'd heard of Quip before, which is mm -hmm. they're e-commerce based. They sell electric toothbrushes that have replaceable heads that yeah. you can do subscriptions so that they just send you a new head whenever you need one. Mm -hmm. And I've looked into them before, but I've always not made the purchase just because I couldn't see the product before me. And I didn't want to spend $40 on a toothbrush right. only to have it, you know, be a piece of junk. But when I went to Target the other day, they had Quip mm -hmm. in stock. And so I was able to see the product and it influenced me to actually make that purchase, which I didn't want to do over e-commerce just because of circumstance. But now they've got me hooked and I will keep coming back to them for the yeah. refills and... I thought that that was a really interesting way that a company could influence me to, mm -hmm. you know, make a purchase that I normally yeah. wouldn't have. Especially with the toothbrush being $40, it's just like you've never paid that much for a toothbrush before unless it's something more specialized mm -hmm. or like one of those like water flossers. Yeah. Um. So to actually see it online and then to see it in the store, I probably would have converted as well. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to how buyer behavior can influence a company's marketing efforts, Quip being in Target now is another great example of this because traditionally with e-commerce, it didn't really matter if your packaging looked super nice um, on the shelf because you weren't selling it on a shelf, you were selling it online. So it was more, marketers put more of a focus on product information and product photos than they did on the packaging. But when you're switching to that new media just to gain more customers, you know, now Quip has to worry about how does their packaging look on a shelf? How does it look compared to competitors on the shelf? True. So there's a lot of ways that in catering to different buyer personalities and behaviors that your marketing will change along with it. Mm -hmm. So buyer behavior is important because as you can hear me and Morgan have had similar and kind of different experiences with our purchasing habits. So to make sure that your audience does convert with your product and or service, you want to make sure that you do learn how they operate and how they decide to purchase your product. Does it happen on the first try? Does it take three times or more for them to convert and buy it? These are things that also contribute into learning about your buyer's behavior. Mm-hmm. And since all buyers are different, just as all people are different, mm -hmm. um, when you're trying to maximize your sales and maximize your customer base, being able to appeal to different personalities and different attitudes and different buyers is really going to benefit you in the long run. Exactly. So when it comes to finding information about your buyer specifically, marketing research and surveying past customers or prospects is a great way to get started because especially with surveys, they're cheap, they're easy to distribute, and the data is for the most part pretty accurate. So uh, surveys are great because you can make them as small and basic mm -hmm. as you want, or you can get as lengthy and detailed as you want. It's really up to you what kind of information you want to get from your customers or potential customers, past clients. It's just a great way to get relevant information from 
the people themselves. Right. And you can send out these surveys after your online purchases are confirmed. You can do it when, after a customer shops in store, you can automatically send them out an email through your email marketing um, software, or they can fill out an immediate survey and then get feedback from them as why they made this purchase, why they come into the store, and different options like that. Mm -hmm. So when you're making marketing research surveys to get more information about your customers, some important information that you're going to want to seek out is going to be general demographic information like their age, their gender, and uh, where they're located, as well as information like their profession, their industry. You can ask about their household income, uh, their likes, dislikes, pain points, and general interests if you're looking to get information about possible areas of expansion for your product line or your services, things like that. So if you do decide to distribute a survey, one thing to keep in mind is that in order to make sure that you're sampling enough people, generally for surveys, you're gonna wanna have a minimum of 30 participants in order to cancel out any outliers in your data. Mm -hmm. So once you have a sample size of 30 or more and you have all of your data collected, uh, next you're gonna wanna be able to actually make sense of your data and apply it into your marketing plan. So once you have all of this data, now it's time to make buyer personas. So what are buyer personas, you may ask? Buyer personas are fictional character profiles based on your audience, their interests, and their habits. So basically with all that information that you collected within your marketing research, you're gonna take that same information and put it into individualized character profiles that includes who your audience is and who your audience is not. So this will help you understand your audience better and help the employee onboarding process. So when you're bringing in new employees to your department, they can also learn and understand who the company's audience is as well. So you can create them by, like we said, marketing research, also gathering other data from your social media um, analytics, your Google analytics, and pretty much any other characteristics or um, different activities that you see going on throughout your website and just shopping habits. And you can have a ton of fun when you're making these buyer personas. You can make them, you know, quirky characters or really just ways that are going to be memorable to you and other staff within your organization. Right. However, while these can be fun to make, they are really important when you are either trying to target a new market or if you are trying to mix up your messaging within uh, your organization. Buyer personas can be really useful because they tell you who you are talking to when you're making ads or mm -hmm. writing out marketing messaging. They tell you who exactly you're talking to and who exactly you are not talking to. And, you know, as marketers, you know that there's so many different ways that you can spin a message or say the same thing within so many words. Exactly. So it's important to be able to cater your messaging to the people that it's most relevant to. Mm -hmm. So you might ask how many buyer personas you should make. That question or that number is up to you and your company. So basically, depending on the size of your company and the size of your audience, you'll probably determine that you should make this number of personas. I would say minimum, you should at least make two to three. I know for TM, Morgan and I made about five for our agency. And that included like if we wanted an intern, a marketing intern, what would that actual person look like? Um, what would clients look like in three different positions and how they would come to us and also the type of client that we aren't necessarily targeting to. 
So after you create your personas, then what? You're going to use these personas to help you understand your customers more and more as they go through their buyer behavior journey and to add more information and layers about them. Because like Morgan said earlier, everybody is different and we all change. So just making sure that you review your personas twice a year or every quarter just to make sure that they're up to date and they're still in line with who your audience is. And that will definitely help you learn more about them and keep all of your marketing efforts updated. Mm -hmm. Understanding buyer behavior is crucial when you're anticipating what your customers are going to do next. So if you're interested in gaining more insight about your customers or potential clients purchase behavior, feel free to reach out to us via our contact us page or leave us a comment below. Thank you for tuning in to the 301 The Redirect Podcast. <laughs>